weekly World Economic Report on Drive Time. Yeah, it's uh, time for the weekly World Economic Report. As always, uh, we look at the following. Mbaweni tables his budget on Wednesday with SAFTU threatening strike action. The National Empowerment Fund launches an economic distress fund for black-owned businesses. And the African Union to push for the construction of the Inga 3 hydropower project. Online for comment, as always, is senior researcher at the University of Pretoria, Dr. Jason Misyorka. Dr. Misyorka, welcome. Thank you so much, Shafiq, for having me. And hello to the listeners. Yeah, Mr. Mbaweni, a budget from hell. Uh, how on earth is he going to balance the books? This is a very, very tough time. And, you know, we spoke about that during President Ramaphosa's uh, State of the Nation Address. And uh, we did indicate that it was a very difficult time for any president. But I would like to extend that and to suggest that when it comes to the number crunching, uh, Mr. Tito Mboweni is in a far worse situation. It's easier for the president to give a rhetoric that inspires uh, and that more motivates looking at the broader goals than to to than than for the number crunching because they have to make economic sense the numbers and i suppose that we are in that situation now where we really have to hear what he has to say but uh, it's going to be a very very steep climb this i should say and of course i mean he's on a hiding next to nothing because opposition parties and it's very easy now to chirp from the opposition benches are going to have an absolute field day with him whatever he says is not going to be right Everybody, in fact, as a matter of fact, the day that uh, he's, uh, you know, when he's delivering his um, budget speech um, uh, on Wednesday, he is going to have to face not just the opposition parties, but also we have labor unions that are going on strike across the country, as we know. So there is a lot of pressure, and he has to hit the right button. Keep in mind that the difficulty that he has to balance is between the fiscals itself, uh, suggesting how government is going to, re- to reduce uh, public expenditure. But at the same time, this is an uh, election year. He has to say the right things politically. And so I think that uh, it, it's really one of those situations that uh, you wish that you would just wish the situation away. Because to deal with the balances of those two things, is very, very difficult. As a matter of fact, what is likely to happen, Shafiq, is that um, we, at the moment we are in a very bad fiscal uh, state of affairs. And uh, for us to be able to recover the economy, we need to be able to motivate, firstly, or demonstrate how we are going to reduce our public expenditure and so forth and so on, at the same time increasing social spending on issues that are um, that, that, that matter, and this would uh, be your education, your infrastructure, and so on. The problem is that our government debt is extremely high at the moment, going close to half, uh, close to 50%. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is sitting, uh, by end of this year, we are projecting that we might be sitting at about 81%. That would mean that out of every 10 rand that we make as a country, um, 8 rand goes to servicing debt. And, I mean, that would mean we are left with very little. And so it seems to me that one of the credible options left on the table, difficult as this might be, might just be to go to the IMF ball in hand and, and borrow more money. But what we know is if we take that action, we are going to be given conditions. And the conditions include we need to cut our 
uh, we need to cut our public expenditure, uh, we need to cut our public wages, and so forth and so on. So uh, as some economists have argued, we are better off beginning to cut those expenditures now before we approach uh, the IMF if that is the route we have to take. But there is really very, very uh, little space or wiggle room left for us here. Now, who is SAF to who is threatening strike action? Um, sorry, could you kindly repeat that again? Uh, I, I say, who is SAF to? What union is this that is threatening strike action? It's, it's the Federation of South African Federation of Trade Union. So this is a breakout from COSATU. And um, these, it's a, it's a very large, it's an it's a, it's a organization that consists of about 21 affiliated trade unions across the country. Um, and we have, you know, they, their membership is just about 800,000. And one of the challenges, um, one of the challenges is that they are, or most of the labor unions, they, they've unionized uh, state employees. And that makes it very difficult for the state because one of the critical issues that we will be listening to what um, uh, um, Mr. Mboweni is going to say is what he will say about the public pleas, which he proposed a couple of months ago. And you know that that has kicked a lot of dust because state employees and their unions, they have come uh, guns blazing. So he will have to say something about the public wage freeze and about public expenditure, which will include either we freeze further the wage, the, the annual uh, escalation of uh, salaries uh, based on inflation. Usually it's about 7% increase every year. We, we will either need to freeze that increase further or even there were discussion that we might need to reduce uh, the wages, because South African uh, public wage system is out of order, is out of sync with the rest of the world. Typically, you get um, private sector employees getting higher wages than public, unlike the case in South Africa. In that way, you provide incentives for workers to or entrepreneurs to go into the productive sector, which is the private sector. So at the moment now, SAFTU is demanding that uh, it, they've set out a list of demands, and one of it is the issue of uh, the ANCs, uh, what they call neoliberal policy. They argue that the issue of uh, public education, they want to see public education that is um, of quality and of corruption. Um, they want also to see the redistribution of land and improve living conditions. These are not things that you can easily press hash for economic recovery. These are difficult questions that are medium to long term. And so protesting on that day, especially where the economy is at the moment, I suppose you really need every ounce of strength of support for the momentum that we are beginning to pick for growth uh, to, to go on. So I suppose that um, the, the, the Minister of Finance and the President are definitely not in a very good situation now. I don't think by any chance that they would um, wish that this kind of a protest would, uh, would go on. So that's, there, there is going to be um, that kind of clash between the rhetoric on the public, um, um, on, the, on the budget speech and, and, of course, the labor unions, which they are here with us. And they, they make a case for the working class, and that's their agenda. And in this case, they are fighting for state employees, which the state will have to say something about their salaries tomorrow. Yeah, and of course it's unrealistic. Um, for those of who's, uh, us who are not in the state sector, sometimes we sit back uh, with our eyes wide open at what goes on there or the amount of money that people are paid for doing basically nothing sometimes. <laughs> Let's be totally frank about it. 
That's one of the reasons why, if you look at the Global Entrepreneurial Report, South Africa ranks among the, the bottom 10 most entrepreneurial countries. There are no incentives for, for entrepreneurship in South Africa. And I think regardless of the efforts that we, the government has made, if you look at, uh, for example, I mentioned, um, and I keep uh, making reference to the Industrial Policy Action Plan, there is access to finance that is made available. There's a lot of money available. The problem is we do not have entrepreneurs. Even if you give them money, they don't know what to do with the money. So we end up with a situation where we create a dependency. There are no real entrepreneurs. But in cases where the markets are functioning much more smoother than in South Africa and the state relinquishes much of the kind of control that it has, you might get into a situation where you generate, you create entrepreneurs, they're in the productive sector, they employ people, and the economy grows. At the moment, we are all relying on uh, the government, not just in terms of provision of services, but also in terms of wages. That is the bulk of the population. And keep in mind, it's a cycle because uh, state employees, the state is the largest employer in the country. And as it does employ, it collects taxes from its own employees. So the government runs on the back of these individuals who are still hired by the state itself. So it's a cycle. And these individuals are not producers um, as far as economic structures are concerned. So it's a very, very dangerous, and I would call it a precarious, or risky economic structure that we have in this country. And somehow at some point we have to tip the point where you have more entrepreneurs in the private sector and, and you have less employees in the state and more laborers, uh, more labor force within the private sector and earning a little bit higher than in the public sector. In that way, then the economy begins to balance out. There's an equilibrium, so to speak, within the economic structures. Yeah, let's move on to the National Empowerment Fund launching an economic distress fund for black-owned businesses. There's been quite a lot of um, dissatisfaction uh, amongst a number of players in terms of getting distress funds since the advent of COVID. You know, Shafiq, this, uh, this, this point, so, uh, firstly, I think that it's a, it's a good gesture. They focus on black participation within the economy, which I think is a um, noble call. And um, the, the problem that we might have is what I was talking to earlier. We are still talking about, although they have laid out a number of conditions, they are going to give both loans and equity with an interest of about 2.5%. And the range, the range of loans and equity are from 250,000 to about 10 million. So far, they have given out about just over 200 million to uh, companies or businesses that have um, applied. My problem comes back to the point we were making earlier that if we are going to give out finances because of a particular set of compliance, we better be sure that that compliance is geared or is inclined towards creating entrepreneurs. I think that, for me, is a problem, because everybody can start up a company like we know. I'll give you an example. Between 2009 and 2015, there were were just over 22,000 cooperatives registered across the country. And here is a boomerang. Over 88%, that would be nine in every 10 cooperatives, that were registered between 2009 and 2015, they closed shop. 
So that gives you something. It tells you something about uh, if there is funds that are there are funds that are available. It's easy for companies or individuals who are want to be entrepreneurs to simply comply or put together documentation. You comply, you receive money, and and and, and you end up um, not using the money for innovation or for entrepreneurship. That is a gap that we will have to close. Because ultimately, we will sit with our balance sheets, with the National Empowerment Fund looking at its balance sheets. It's funded a lot of businesses. But if we ask the essential question, what is the long-term impact of this kind of support? The answer will be the same answer that ESCOM and everybody else has, um, as far as you know, every other parastatal has, for example. That is my concern. We have to break this cycle of dependency and compliance and focus on entrepreneurial development. And I would like to hear the Minister of Finance, by the way, talk to the issue of entrepreneurial development tomorrow and to see how we can develop entrepreneurs without creating dependency and just labor workers or employees rather than looking at entrepreneurial creation. Yeah, let's hope that something does move on that front because um, uh, every single uh, State of the Nation address we go to, we hear about entrepreneurship uh, even the uh, um, finance minister talks about entrepreneurship it's just a buzzword and it, it buzzes and nothing seems to happen it has to be it, it, we if we are going to i see that the government has projected 3.3 uh, percent growth for 2021 which i can tell you now it's going to be impossible that is really unrealistic but if we are going to begin uh, looking at a positive inclination of the growth curve here we will have to do something and go beyond the talking. And I know that part of the issues, and by the way, just coming back to, to, the, uh, to, to the minister's uh, expected budget speech, I know that he will be talking to issues of taxes and how we might be increasing taxes um, on various aspects, capital gains tax, there is a possibility of that and so forth and so on. But the, the, the tax regime has to be also put forward or implemented in a way that it promotes entrepreneurship. You keep more money into entrepreneurial pockets, entrepreneurs' pockets, then you are likely to have or to drive growth from that point of view. So, again, that's something that we should be looking out for as far as the tax regime is concerned, whether we are going to hear increase in VAT, which is unlikely because we've just had a recent one issue of corporate taxes. I would imagine that we might see some... Uh, 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 cutting of taxes there. There is a possibility there, but customs and excess duties, uh, capital gains taxes, those are uh, part of the tax uh, elements or items that I expect to see some increase there. But we need to look at those tax um, uh, proposals in the context of entrepreneurial development. And I hope that we can balance that out and we can hear the minister balance that out tomorrow uh, in, uh, uh, during his speech. Let's hope we can do it. African Union next issue pushes for construction of the Inga 3 hydropower project. Um, that's going to be in the DRC. Hydropower is not very high on the list of um, renewables because you have to use huge volumes of water uh, to keep it going. So where are we going with here? This seems to be pretty much on the back burner. This is an interesting one, um, Shafiq. Firstly, because it was it was phase one of the of the project. Um, you know, it, it is a, con- a DRC project, and what happened was that when the current president um, uh, Chiselezi, when he took power, 
He also became, is now replaced the president of the Maposa as the chairperson of the African Union. So what he has done, he has made it a pan-African enterprise. So it's no longer just confined in the DRC. And you are absolutely right. The problem is that we are overtaken by events here. When everybody else is talking about renewable energy, we are talking about hydroelectric power. And countries that rely on hydroelectric power generation, most of the Eastern African countries rely on hydroelectric power. So these are essentially um, uh, plants that are run through water, and therefore they rely on dams, and dams would rely on natural rain. And we know we have very erratic um, uh, climatic changes as far as the weather conditions are concerned across the continent, not least within the East African region. So this is this is for me overtaken by events. It's not visionary. It sounds like a grand project. It's a massive project. We are looking at about 14 billion um, US dollars. So it's a massive project. Um, but another interesting caveat is that it's being built by six Chinese companies. It's going to be generating about 50,000 megawatts, it claimed. So there are some of those aspects that uh, really question the progressiveness of this uh, aspect, both in the sense of the pan-Africanism, given that we are talking about Chinese companies building, and at the second, on the second level, we are talking about um, not going renewable energy, which is what everybody is looking forward to. So for me, those are serious questions about the vision of this enterprise. Yeah. So um, do you th- at the end of the day, do you think that this is just going to be a lot of talk and that it isn't really going to go very far? There has been some um, uh, suggestions from academic circles that there are not sufficient details to make a reasonable case as far as the African Union is concerned, but it has been tabled um, on the African Union councils and uh, it's being discussed on that level. So our hope is that either we get sufficient details, but even then we, we might end up with a political project that is not informed by science, pretty much like what we nearly did with um, a nuclear power plants in South Africa. Against all science, we were pushing forward with a political project. So I would imagine that uh, the voice of reason would prevail and we would begin to look at much more renewable energy, especially for Africa, because we've seen tremendous climatic changes across the continent. Just uh, the cyclone in Mozambique, for example, it's a result of about uh, eight other uh, eight different currents that we've seen on the on the eastern coast of the continent, which have never occurred before. And uh, previously you have only three or four, but to have a series of eight currents, it's, it's unheard of. And those are the changes we are talking about. We have locusts that themselves have been um, ravaging the continent. And by the way, they've landed in Zambia and in the uh, northern part of South Africa as well, all the way from Yemen, the Horn of Africa, into this part of the world. Again, that's something that we've not seen in the last uh, generation or two. So these are climatic change uh, consequences, and we have to take them into account um, when we are initiating some of these projects. Dr. Jason Misoka, Senior Researcher, University of Pretoria, at Jason Misoka is the Twitter handle. As always, thanks for joining us on Weekly World Economic Report. Thank you so much, Shafiq, and thank you to the listeners as well. Weekly World Economic Report on Drive Time.